Welcome to another episode of Humans with a Purpose. Today, I have a very special guest joining all the way from Australia. Peter Gold is the head designer and founder of the Gold Studio. He's a creative force behind several brands. These are Muslim toy brands, one of which is the Salam Sisters. And today we're going to talk about his mission and his creative practice. Thank you so much, Peter, for joining the show. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to join. Appreciate it. Peter, can you define what purpose means to you? You know, this is a great leading question because it's going, it's such a simple, beautiful question. And yet I love that the whole focus of the, the effort with the podcast is goes directly to the most deep, meaningful, uh, you know, profound question you can you can ask someone when in the context of their life you know what's what's your purpose how do you define it for me I've come to understand that I, I sometimes struggle with the ing like the English terminology is so loaded so for example when you know in English someone says to me the word God uh, if you said the word God to me 20-25 years ago you know I would have a very predefined kind of understanding but when you let's let's say someone said to me Ar-Rahman an Arabic word, I don't even know what that is. And yet, the, by changing the language, you invite yourself to explore a new and, and perhaps richer meaning of something. So when you say purpose, because I've been in the world, maybe like you, of you know, listening to a lot of podcasts and reading books and, you know, reading Tim Ferriss and reading books like Designing Your Life and all these things, purpose kind of has this set of labels or terminology that we kind of attach to it. Where I think of purpose now, I, it's helpful to me to draw on some spiritual terminology. So for example, if we take the word in Arabic, ikhlas, uh, which is like a you know, deep sincerity, or niya, which is like intentionality, then all of a sudden, I, I'm beginning to describe for how I understand purpose now. If I, if, if I can... Lisa Bowles kind of borrow ikhlas. One of my spiritual teachers explained that ikhlas or sincerity is really, it's the root of the root. It's like all actions are judged by this. And if you're talking about purpose, it has its direct connection to sincerity, understanding of that purpose, why you're doing it. And niya is your, your, you know, related to your intentionality. So it's a long way of kind of answering that for me, purpose is really about having a very clear sense of intentionality uh, and hopefully a depth of that with, with the level of sincerity or, or ikhlas in that. Wow, that's beautiful. I have never heard it in that way. You've connected it to at a, a higher spiritual level. And it sounds like your faith in your practicing Muslim really defines who you are. Yeah, well, I think we, you know, every one of us on the planet are on some kind of spiritual journey or path or, or seeking answers. And again, using, if we just, even in English, you know, the phrase spiritual journey or spiritual path, again, it's so loaded. <laughs> for some people, uh, I know you're in the Bay Area there, for some people that's going to mean sort of like Berkeley in the 60s, finding yes. beat poets and finding the kind of meaning and truth and, and being seekers. And the word spiritual in English, it's, again, it's just got a lot of labels, depending on your perspective, where you're coming from. It, it's a helpful term. We have to use, you know, a little bit of shared vocabulary. So words like purpose or the spiritual path, at least you get people in the kind of ballpark 
but yeah again you got to be careful as soon as you start talking about god or religious or faith like all these words this are very heavy for people and i totally get that because i i came from a background of not practicing any faith not really have any understanding but going on a, a journey of seeking and that ultimately led me to to embrace uh islam become muslim and and continue on this path of seeking that's very much linked to purpose because you it's 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 uh you know our our faith our practice there is transformational and not transactional it's not like you just figure out your purpose and and tick the box uh okay transaction complete no it's it gets richer it evolves uh, different seasons of life inform your understanding of, of purpose so for you how do you live your life with purpose you are a designer you're an entrepreneur you also teach as well so how do you live your life with purpose one of the big blessings i i have week to week is to lead a design team and what is a design team when we think about design uh many of us think of things like graphic design or you know digital design maybe more recently apps you know designing uh designing things or designing experiences when we use our iPhone or when we call an Uber or whatever it might be you know design has a role there but design in the the deepest kind of richest sense is about change so design is really a fundamental human activity that we're all gifted with this ability to do is change the environment around us make something better see see some kind of problem that you'd like to work on my lived purpose week to week is connected to my role running a design team leading a design team and working hopefully on brands products and experiences that that are are meaningful or at least do something something positive and design not just to sell things and sell sell sneakers and soda but you know hopefully to inspire someone or just have a better connection to their community or um you know we do some products for kids that it's really about trying to create a better sense of belonging and representation i feel very fortunate that leading this design team has a strong sense of purpose uh and that informs a little bit of my day-to-day world of uh, but also uh i think that alignment professionally of, of trying to have meaningful work inshallah that that benefits people yes and one of the things that i was really interested in and i and i asked you to bring one of your dolls which is the salam sister doll <laughs> your whole mission of creating more inclusivity especially in children's toys the us we have the very ever so popular american girl doll mm-hmm. which yeah. all these girls wanted and you saw that there was a need where there are girls who wear the scarf who don't even wear the scarf but you have different flavors of of muslims different levels of representation and you came out with the salam sister doll and i was wondering if you could show the salam <laughs> sister doll on yeah absolutely thank you well i'm i'm glad that you you uh, found that that was really a, a um every designer or design team has kind of like a dream project and if you can't find the clients that are facilitating the dream projects and you have to kind of bismillah roll up your sleeves and and make your dream project and for me having two daughters was the big influence on my life being a parent trying to look at what were they experiencing what were they playing with what content are they consuming the media landscape for girls pretty much up until i don't know 15 is um is pretty much largely informed by disney pixar hasbro mattel and spin master these five companies brands that they own just 
have this phenomenal influence between all of them. And I'm not saying that it is inherently bad. It's just that it, it just, there's certain things you'd like as a parent and as a Muslim parent, you'd love to see exist in the world, to have in the mix of, and I think representation is a big part of that. So um, I'm glad you did ask. I did bring a Salam sister uh, with me. So this is the Mariam doll. <laughs> and she's pretty big. If you, here's the whole box here. I'm not sure wow. if yeah. anyone watching can see it, but basically it's, it's a big package doll. It's a, you know, kind of, we, we wanted to, you know, have a, a big physical kind of boxed experience the way that you would go into a retail toy store and right. see American Girl, you'd see all these other dolls. But so it had to kind of fit a little bit within the paradigm, but use that kind of archetype of what an 18-inch doll is to then inform better representation in Charlotte. Right. So like you said, it's it's really more about inclusive. So, you know, we really wanted a strong cultural diversity. Yes. Um, we wanted to have the option for with and without scarves. And it felt like this is a great opportunity for, for kids to, I mean, the best reactions when we have the kids and parents say like, oh, it looks like me or like, mom, it looks like you or it's my oh. sister, my auntie. And for us, it wasn't really about the doll or, or the product, but it was about the message, the meaning and the intention. And that really shined. So I think there's a good lesson that we learned for other brands that we work on and projects that we do is you need to find the right channel and the right way, but then bring in the meaning and, and the messaging through that. And if you do it the other way around, sometimes you end up with things that people don't want to buy. Or they don't, they, you know, it's, it's clearly maybe not designed with the, um, in a way that's going to actually be consumable product that's going to reach a lot of people. So, yeah, it's been, been a cool journey, but we're still early days. It's still, you know, Zalij is the company that we, we started for that. It's still uh, in startup mode, even after a couple of years. And inshallah, a lot of good work ahead. Have you ever found your purpose change it sounds like you've had a very interesting journey in terms of realizing your faith being connected to islam and working on these projects that are whether it's the the dolls or the toys you know some of the other brands that you work with i wonder if you found yourself going down a path and then you realize you know what this is not who i am Mm -hmm. and you pivoted? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm sure a lot of listeners can, can relate to that on some level. Uh, I certainly can. And there's, you know, there's, there's paths within journeys. Alhamdulillah, like an overall arc of my life is, has been really trying to understand and, and apply Islam and get deeper into the, to the meaning and how that works. And now being a parent, how does that work? And now, you know, more responsibilities. Or, and so there's this source of guidance there. But uh, I think identity plays a part in that. And what was one story that I, I kind of like to share on my journey to sort of really becoming Muslim was early on when I, you know, I was probably in my early 20s. I, uh, in Australia, I wasn't necessarily finding Muslims that sort of, you know, did the same things I did that were kind of understood public culture, music, video games, you know, skateboarding, you know, graphic design, you know, the, the community here is kind of, uh, was fairly fledgling in terms of more of those, I guess you call, you know, Western cultural influences. So when I um, showed up in California, I uh, all of a sudden was just met with this set of Californian Muslims that were comfortably Muslim and comfortably Californian. And they had this 
just this identity. And my favorite example is when I got invited to um, someone's house and, you know, there's a few people going, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll go along. And didn't really know what to expect. Didn't really kind of know what was going on. And all of a sudden they turn all the lights off. I'm like, okay. I'm like, is this some special kind of like mystical ritual? Like what's going to happen here? And then all of a sudden, two lightsabers go on from Star Wars, like the <laughs> sound. And this guy, he's like fully Dini, like he's like a, you know, like a, almost like a scholar of Islam, is showing everyone his lightsaber collection and how we spent the whole night going through playing lightsabers and talking about Star Wars and the philosophy and all this. And I'm like, and that's so me. Like, I'm like, yes, like these guys are practicing Muslims, they're into their deen, but they also appreciate the joy and the craft and the, the storytelling of something like Star Wars. And I'm like, yes, they get it. And the two are not exclusive. It was in good company and it was prayed together. Too many of us, and I think particularly converts, like we sort of think we have to jettison our cultural identity mm-hmm. um, to become, you know, closer to, to God. And that, that hasn't been my experience. I think if you reconcile these, there's a reason why you've been gifted with all these experiences and you can bring that into your more holistic sense of self. So I know that's a little long story, but uh, it illustrated my, my one of those little stepping stones of like a, into the next path. Yes. And that's a great point that you bring up because this is something that I hear often from converts and even Muslims as well where there's this feeling of, well, I have to dress a certain way in order to look Muslim. And being Muslim is beyond that. It's not a one size fits all. And that's what I like about your dolls. You have a broad representation. You can have a doll without a scarf. You can have a doll who's white, who's brown, who's black. And we all come in different shades and doesn't make us any less than the other. And so I can see that translating into your work too. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important to, and I appreciate that. And, the, you know, even our, our design team and the people we work for, you know, we intentionally try to keep that diverse, culturally diverse, but also people from different faiths and backgrounds. It's, it's very simply explained in our sacred text in the Quran that we've made you into nations and tribes so that you may come to know one another. And that simple piece of wisdom if we just embrace that one little piece of wisdom, such a helpful perspective, because we know that this is how things were designed. We'd say that God is the ultimate designer, the designer. So from someone who's fascinated by design, I think that concept makes a lot of sense. And we're also designed to experience challenges and we're designed to um, have difficulty and situation, sometimes very intense drama and, and traumas and things and it's easy to, to kind of to say but when you're living through those things that's when having your purpose and your spiritual path becomes um, I think it's essential to uh, understanding the broader context within your life and why, why things are happening so easy to say but difficult to do at the time that's very much the human story isn't it <laughs> yeah and I, I wonder if you live your life as a bunch of design prototype which you're testing things out and one prototype might work and there's this constant failure because even in, in the Islamic faith is that's why we're here. We, we are tested and it's, it's a constant struggle. And, and I think with you having your design background, it makes me think that it's probably easier for you. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, 
there's a great body of work that expresses that idea really well called designing your life. And it's, um, I have to say the title feels a bit cheesy because if you're, if you've read a lot of self-help stuff or whatever, it, it looks like it fits squarely in that bracket. It's some years since this book came out designing your life. And now it's of course courses. It comes out of the Stanford design lab and the Stanford D schools. And I really believe that's a, that's captured well, this idea of prototyping through life you know, iterating, experimenting, learning, you know, improving, you know, sometimes going back to the drawing board, instead of listening to your, your users, you're the user, you're the person, you know, and so this is really powerful, because all of a sudden, you feel it's okay, that, you know, this thing that I'm trying out, reframing it as an experiment, is just really empowering. Because then you don't feel so bad if things doesn't work out. Right. Or, <laughs> and that's happens to all of us. And it's actually really important. That's, that's how we learn. It, when you frame in a design context, it becomes powerful because you can think about, I'm actually reframing my life problem, my life kind of problems as a design challenge. So I was like, right. man, okay, 2020, I was going to go to Paris. I was all set. You know, I was going to like do a three month thing there and find myself and, you know, eat, pray, love and have this whole thing. And then you know what, Think 2020 had other plans for you. So how do you reframe that? It's like, okay, well, how do I, what was I trying to solve there? What was it? What was the problem I'm trying to solve? Which is, you know, meaningful connection, maybe a bit more space and time to myself or different environment. So look at the problem you're trying to solve for and, and keep working on that. And sometimes it takes our whole life to, to get there. So what would you, what message would you give to the younger generation and I'm talking about kids who are getting ready to graduate from college and they're entering into this uncertain world. Mm -hmm. What piece of advice would you give them? Some good advice that was shared with me was, was actually when I was doing um, a bit of design study at Stanford around this concept they have of T-shaped people. And it's sort of adopted a little bit in the, in the corporate word, but world, but you can borrow from that if you, to kind of take off the veneer of a sort of a corporate concept, but it's, it's just a, it's just a simple idea of the T-shaped person has a broad set of skills across one layer and then a depth in one. So across, if you imagine let, let capital letter T in English, um, you know, across the top, you've got, um, if you think of things like collaboration, creativity, curiosity, a bit of an entrepreneurial spark or, or interest in to do something. If you have that broad set of skills or are making progress in those, but then one kind of vertical, you know, if you think of the descender and the T now, okay, maybe I'm really interested in permaculture and gardening, or I'm really interested in nutrition, or I'm really interested in video gaming. Whatever it is, I think if you sort of aspire to have that kind of T shape you can apply that to wherever you end up, whatever you might be doing, whatever role you might be doing, or even starting your own venture or trying to start. So I just say that try and have that, that breadth of ideas. And I, I recently finished an audio book of uh, the life of Leonardo da Vinci. And it was a, the same uh, biographer who did Steve Jobs um, some years back, Walter Isaacson. So it was really well researched, really well written and explained. And I, I mean, although it was 500 years ago, like he was the most curious person ever. I mean, one of his questions is like, describe the tongue of a woodpecker. And then he did. And it turns out that the woodpecker has this very unique form and structure. And the point being is not the woodpecker, but it's like this curiosity. So if you have that through life, that's really powerful. 
That's such a great point. And I've never heard of the T-shape reference before. This is my first time and it makes a lot of sense. And I think there's going to be a big revolution right now in terms of just changing people's mindsets around careers and your work in life. I think it's going to be a little bit of everything. And back to the point you raise is we all need to be more curious. We need to explore and keep designing and failing and just keep trying different things. And then, you know, you might hit the, uh, the jackpot, or you might hit the, the gold. So it sounds like what you're saying is keep asking questions, keep trying new things, explore multiple things, but also have one area that you're really good at. Yeah. And another way of, of thinking about that is uh, someone that can explain it this way is that it's very, very difficult to be in the top 1% in the world of, of anything. So let's say the top 1% of athletes are you know, like the people that make it to the Olympics and they're just born for running, like that's their life or the top 1% of tennis players that it's really like difficult. It's very, very difficult to, to be that. However, you know, and I'm using a percentage as a, just a you know reference, but you know, how you measure that is just for an idea. However, it's much easier to, let's say, be in the top 20% of people. Let's say I'm the top 20% of um, tennis players in the world, right? I mean, it's still really hard, but like you can, you, it's much easier than the top 1%. And if you're in the top 20% of two things, so let's say, let's take tennis playing, but also, I don't know, let's say gardening, okay? You know, you're really into your gardening and you know what to plant, the right season, you know, people see the fruit. Just by that combination of two seemingly unrelated things you become in the top one percent of tennis players who understand gardening and you could take this to any two things and you will find unique points of innovation and invention there that you only you will uniquely see Steve Jobs explained well creativity is just connecting things if I thought of a very obscure example if you in the tennis playing community were the person then that understood which herbs to grow what things you know go well in a garden you just all of a sudden become this unique person. This idea of you have to be number one, the best that, you know, or you're a failure. I don't, I don't buy that. But to be good at two sets of things automatically makes you in, that, in the top 1% of that combination. So that's, that's helpful, I think, for young people as well, because exactly what you said earlier, we're going to a world that is going to, it's not a linear path to like, yep, you graduate, you get a job, you become this, you become... No, I think there's, it's a much more multidisciplinary type of future we, we all going to experience. And you, if you love tennis, go after it, but also try and be great at communication and try and be great at something else. And, and I think with the right mindset, you'll, you'll find a lot of success. Very true. You must have had someone or some people who had a big impact on your life, whether it's a, a guide or a mentor or a teacher, is there anyone that's stood out for you who helped you be where you are today? So I picked up on this concept of having a personal board. And so if you think of a company, a startup, you know, we'll have a board, right? Board of directors. So I sort of borrowed from somewhere. I don't actually remember where this idea of a personal board so you could think of it as a group of mentors, but also, you know, hopefully they're, they're there for you, but, you know, to help you keep you a little bit accountable as well um, and maybe point in the right direction. And one of my, my friends on my personal board, who's a, she's an, you know, a beautiful 
woman, I think she's probably in her 70s, has this incredible life journey and incredible success. Now she's like running a whole village in Pakistan and creating this whole, you know, movement there. But I got to know her while she's in Dubai. And I asked her for some advice as I got to know her. And she said, look, you need five types of friends. Um, and she explained, you know, the different kind of character everyone should have. And anyway, one of the friends was a person that will kick you in the rear end when you need it. <laughs> and basically, you want mentors that are across the board, including the one that's going to give you that critical feedback and, and push you when you're wrong. So that's, that's an essential one. Over my journey, I've been really fortunate to have a good mix of just casual mentors and, and people that I kind of consider mentors, but not necessarily even formal ways that, you know, we might, you know, traditionally people might have had. For example, if I could think of, say, Peter Sanders, he's a photographer based in London. And when I had just become Muslim, or when I was thinking about Islam and the earth was for me very early 2000s, I was trying to look, find English speaking Muslims that could we're doing something creative like that you know doing like professional creative work because I was a, already a professional designer but I just um, when you google back then like Muslim photographer or Muslim designer or whatever there, there was like one result or two or three you know there was, wasn't right. much now there's thousands and thousands and thousands which is wonderful but anyway Peter Sanders uh, or Abdul Azim is you know his, his other name he's known as I reached out to him and he was just so such a wonderful light an illuminating source of, of, of knowledge, of wisdom, but also great, well-loved and respected creative professional who spent years just taking the most beautiful photography in, in pretty much every part of the Muslim world. So that, and then as I got to, to know him and then people from, from his community, even though that was remote most of the time until I got to know and see him in person, this spiritual lens and the spiritual depth of of all of the intentionality and ikhlas you know and sincerity in his work i began to really start to understand the connection between spirituality and, and the creative mm. path that way i credit people like him and as uh, abdul latif whiteman he's in spain in near granada great designer you know people like harun sujic you know who you spoke to michael sujic he's a he's a teacher and a mentor someone i look up to so yeah i've been fortunate to have some great guides but we're in an age where you can access a lot of wisdom if you just ask and there's an abundance of available uh, knowledge and, and great things on YouTube. But with that, it becomes overwhelming. So it's, yes. you've got to, you still want to have those in-person connections. Yes, very true. Peter, how do you want to be remembered? <laughs> I feel like this is one of those questions that you know, sometimes you do in an, in an activity of like where, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen this one where you, where you kind of write your own obituary. epitaph. Yes. Yeah, obituary or whatever. And my wife kind of laughs at me about it sometimes if she does, because I I've, sometimes I get excited and write like whole plans of like what I'd like to do in detail by 2030. I'd like to be this and be running that. And and I, I mean, there's no harm in just writing it out <laughs> and, and making intention and, and trying to keep checking that intention. So there's a whole bunch of things I'd like to be able to contribute to. But I think as you get older as well, you realize that there's a certain spiritual maturity you, you hope to aspire to. And you then start to look at what is your definition of success? What, what mm -hmm. do you, you know, when you talk, when you make it about me and, and my legacy and what I'm about, we can start missing the point, although it's easy to say that, but in practice, it's a constant journey of navigating. I think, you know, ultimately, I'd love to leave the world with a with Sakina in the heart. 
with a, with a, a tranquility and with a uh, this sense of gratitude and this sense of rida and rida in Arabic. I came, I asked my teacher, "What is what is rida? Is this you know in English it's contentment? But if there's one thing I've learned that you don't just trust the English translation at face value. It's very limiting. You know, the word contentment in English, we go, okay, yeah, contentment. So you've had a good meal or you're just kind of happy. But right. I asked my teacher, well, what's rida? And he said, rida, Peter, is accepting and surrendering to every decision that's ever been made in history and every decision that will ever happen in the future. And then that's like this deep sense of acceptance and, and calm. I'm like, wow, that's, you know, then you would have Sakina in your heart. You're just in this state of, of acceptance and, and contentment. So even, coming back even, to legacy. Even, <laughs> even in the bad, right? Even in, in situations where you wanted something and you didn't receive it, but you accept it. That's right. Exactly right. And that's, that's the hardest part. Um, that's the hardest part. That's where the spiritual path be becomes real is when you do struggle through those times, which can be every day or every month. If we strive for that with the right intention and with this sincerity and ikhlas, then, you know, the legacy you'd like to have is like, oh, well, there's someone who was on the path to rida. And you do that through service to other people. You do that with trying to foster a sense of gratitude in, in Arabic, this maqam of shukur, this idea a station of, of being grateful so it it's a long answer but that's somewhere in that mix i hope will be the answer <laughs> thank you so much peter for this wonderful conversation oh thank you i re really enjoyed it it's great to uh, join you today thank you.